1970, John Lennon famously said in his song, God, I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me. He had a successful solo career, although George Harrison was the best-selling solo Beatle in a bizarre twist of fate. Iggy Pop left the Stooges in 1977 and never looked back. Annie Lennox had major success on her own. Beyonce left Destiny's Child and became the queen of R&B. Justin Timberlake, Harry Styles, Diana Ross, Ozzy Osbourne, and many others have taken a stab at solo careers over the last 70 years of popular music. Some have had amazing success like Paul Simon. Some were better off with their bands. Mick Jagger comes to mind. Out of these great success stories, Lauryn Hill stands out in the pack. To be fair, the Fugees never really broke up. They each decided to try their own thing while still remaining a group. Wyclef Jean became a very successful producer. Praz, not so much. Lauryn Hill recorded, produced, and released The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill in 1998. It remains one of the great solo projects in pop history and spawned a number of major hits. The first was a showcase of Lauryn's many talents. Today on Hidden Jukebox, the hit single, Doo-Wop, That Thing. Hello, Jake. Hello. <laughs> uh, this song is very good. Uh, I think I think we can establish that. Sometimes we do a song, and I'm like, mm, I'm not sure like uh, how I feel about. Mm, 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 mm. Um, <laughs> although I did I did enjoy that, but uh, but this song it seems like of like all the songs that we've done, like this is what it would be one of the hardest not to like. I think uh, she. It's not like she was extremely likable at all. No, no, that's that's not what I meant. No, I think I think we're we're talking about someone who has definitely uh, been a difficult character over over the last couple of decades. I definitely want to get to the unplugged album sure. slash performance, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But this song is hardly genre bending. I mean, slightly in that it's hard to say whether it's a hip hop song or a doo wop song, but it is very mass appeal level yeah and i'm not sure what makes it that necessarily like i mean it just goes down so easy but like without being without having like any hint of like easy listening or uh you know being overproduced or packaged right you don't don't think this is overproduced no i mean Okay. Okay. Let's let's get into this right because that that was what something I wanted to talk about is how good this sounds. It it does sound amazing, and um, I think that that she had a lot of pride mixed with a little a little bit of narcissism. When you look at the album cover of Miseducation of Lauren Hill, it says at the bottom produced by Lauren Hill, like she wanted everybody to know that this was her baby. Sure. But when you look at the credits for the album, there are like. Over 50 of them. A lot of people worked on this album. Sure, but it doesn't It doesn't sound like that, it, I don't think. Okay, it sounds... It, ve- it's, it's possible that I'm comparing it to like what I consider like an overproduced, overpackaged sound today, um, and that it doesn't come anywhere close to that in terms of being like overworked. That's fair. But uh, I think it sounds great. Oh, I'm not saying it doesn't sound great, and maybe overproduced is, is going too far. It is very produced. Like, sure, I can't imagine her going on stage with this and performing it and doing it justice unless she had like a 15 piece band behind her because there's at least three horns on it. Yeah, there are backup singers, which for years I thought were all her overdubbing. I wondered that it is actually separate singers that she brought into the studio. Okay. There's guitar, bass, drums, keys. Like there is a a full band on this. Well, let's let's talk about what we mean when we say something is overproduced. 
because okay. to me, to me, I feel like it has like a very particular connotation. Okay, what's weird is is your brain goes forward to current music, and my brain immediately goes to Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, interesting. Okay, so. I, I see what you mean, and I think it would be fair to call Bohemian Rhapsody overproduced, except, like, I, I, I don't really, I, I don't feel like it's fair to, like, really criticize Bohemian Rhapsody in any way, because it's, like, a perfect thing. Um, and so, don't get me started. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so so let me let me tell you a little story first, because okay. I'm not just talking about today's, like, like you know, today's overproduced sound, which uh, which does bug me in a very old man sort of way. But uh, we recently, uh, Lori and I uh, like to like to watch this series called The Seth Concerts, which is this guy, uh, Seth Rudetsky, who's like a Broadway producer and, and pianist, accompanist. And uh, uh, he, he'll have on like a Broadway star and, and they do an interview and Seth is sitting at the piano and they play, so he plays some songs and the uh, and the singer sings some songs. Uh, and, it's, and it's usually a lot of fun. And uh, the... Uh, the person who was on was Javier Munoz. This was a couple weeks ago from uh, best known for playing Hamilton in the in the play, uh, the musical Hamilton after Lin-Manuel Miranda. Never heard of it. Go on. And uh, he did a uh, uh, this great George Michael song, Praying for Time, uh, which is the first song on Listen Without Prejudice, volume one. There was never a volume two. No, and, and I'm like, man, that is such a good song. I want to go back and listen to the original. And I went back and listened to it. It sounds like such fucking garbage. <laughs> like 1990, I think, was the worst year for music production ever. It sounds like it was recorded on someone's phone. And I know you couldn't record on your phone in the 90s, but it sounds like it was recorded on someone's like cordless phone. Um I, it's so inexplicable to me that someone that someone like heard that and like yep we're yep we're done we got it and it's not George <laughs> Michael's fault like his performance is incredible and it is buried under this like fake sounding reverb and delay and like like it's rec- like it was recorded off mic and just like gated drums and just like all this bullshit that was unnecessary and probably if they'd done it raw it would have sounded fantastic yeah and i think though today's equivalent of that like today's stuff doesn't sound like the bad 80s production that i that i uh, you know have a uh, you know, what's the opposite of a soft spot in your heart that I have uh, a like, hard spot? <laughs> yeah, a hard spot for no, that doesn't sound right. No. either. But like now nowadays, it would be like, you know, uh, everything is extremely compressed to sound as loud as possible. There's like sound effects like the drums are like triggering some sound effect to go along with with uh, the uh, acoustic drums. If there even are acoustic drums, just like uh, it's quantized, like everything is like sweated over until it sounds perfect. And like, I don't want my music to be perfect. Okay. From that perspective, you're absolutely right. This is not overproduced in a way that they're trying to do too much with the actual production itself. It's that there's a lot going on in this song. There's a lot going on, but you can hear all of it. And there's like room to breathe. There's like room for her voice without, without like punching the voice up to 11 um, you know, it just sounds good. It sounds amazing. The The song itself, it's like, it, I was saying, it's kind of a great mix of like throwback doo-wop, Motown, and hip-hop. Um, it starts with this like isolated piano that's very Stevie Wonder-esque. Yes. Then the beat drops and, and the beat and the bass are really stark hip-hop, but with this Motown horn thing going on over it. Uh, she's going back and forth between rap and singing 
and does it beautifully. And she layers a lot of vocal harmonies over the top of it. And then uh, like towards the end of the song, she does this acapella break yep. that is like I remember hearing it in 1998 and going, this is goddamn astounding and you go back and listen to it and it's still just astounding yeah this is probably the best song where the where the lead performer um goes goes uh, back and forth between rapping and singing uh except for um uh, bismarcky god damn it see i was going <laughs> his voice is just so good i i'm gonna do my impression of- no i'm not gonna do my impression if you got what i need um I, I was going to ask, are there any other performers that did this as well as, as she did? As does? well? No, absolutely not. Like, like, I even try and think of, of female rap artists because, you know, she was certainly wasn't the first. And if you called her the, the queen of rap, Queen Latifah would probably smack you in the <laughs> sure. mouth. Um, but for instance, in this song, uh Take out your neck, saying you're a Christian, a Muslim sleeping with the jinn. Now that was the sin that did Jezebel in. Who are you going to tell when the repercussions spin? Showing off your ass because you're thinking it's a trend. Girlfriend, let me break it down for you again. You know I only said it because I'm truly genuine. Don't be a hard rock when you really are a gem. Yep. Amazing. Um, and, and like, it just rolls off her tongue so easily. I know. Um, like... Like, like, do you, do you wonder if she had to do that 50 times in the studio before she got it? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think I think she is a notorious perfectionist. So probably yes. Yeah. Like, I know she did a tour behind this. I know like I, I it's hard to find videos of it because it was just before when everybody had cell phones. and There was no like uh, live release or anything like that. So I don't know what she was like really on stage. And I, I mentioned in the intro that the Fugees never really broke up and they've done performances here and there over the years, but it doesn't showcase her the way that this album did. Mm-hmm. And this song does. Uh, I wanted to go over yeah. the, the success of this song. Okay. Because when, when I say it's impossible to overstate, here's some highlights. Best R&B vocal performance and best R&B song at the Grammys. Number 49 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. Video of the Year at the MTV Video Music Awards, the first hip-hop song to win this. What was what was number one on Rolling Stone's uh, 100 Best Songs? Was it uh, Like a Rolling Stone? or wait, wait, What's the actual name it of was, that song? It, it, or or was it A Day in the Life? It was actually Bismarcky, Just a Friend. <laughs> 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 so good. Um, first debut single to debut at number one on the Billboard chart and only the 10th single ever to debut at number one. OK, pretty good. Pretty good. It has made countless lists of greatest songs of the decade and even the century, the century and the albums even in the Smithsonian and the Library of Congress. All right. That's pretty insane. So. I, I don't want to like get into like you know Lauren Hill's troubled life after after this album came out. I think that's been done, and we're not really the people to do it. What I do wonder is like we've talked about this before. Like, would we appreciate this album less if she like went on to make a bunch of lesser albums? I think that I would appreciate this album more. Okay, but maybe that's just me and the type of person that I am. I would say sometimes uh, you can catch lightning in a bottle and 
maybe she wasn't the great producer that everybody thought that she was, but she was able to catch lightning in a bottle. But I, I don't really think that would have been the case. Like, I, I think that that she has always been an incredible, incredible talent that just unfortunately was riddled with personal issues that made it very hard for her to find success after this. Yeah. I try to imagine what would have happened if the Fugees had been able to continue on, if she had been able to continue on, if they'd been able to make this work. The only thing I want to say about her personal troubles, and I said I was going to mention it, is the they some yeah. people say that she has another album, which is the release of her MTV uh, Unplugged 2.0. Yes. And she played a bunch of unreleased songs that were not on this album. So everybody in the audience, you know, there's the perspective that that could be really cool. Like you get to hear a bunch of things that you've never heard her perform before. And there's also the perspective of shut up and play the hits. Mm hmm. But the awkward thing is that she's crying, like sobbing through the entire thing. Yeah. And to this day, nobody really knows what was going on. But it is hard to watch. Like, like it, if MTV still showed music, which they don't, I don't think this is one that they would come back to regularly and be like, uh, you know, we have nothing going on in the four o'clock slot this afternoon. Let's put on that Lauryn Hill 2.0. Right. But it was released as an album. Because I guess because someone was like, we we could maybe make some money on this by packaging it as a Lauryn Hill album. Uh, have you listened to that album? Uh, it, I mean, it has a lot of interludes, right? Uh, yes, it does <laughs> a, a lot because yeah. she she talked through a lot of it. I'm trying right. to I'm trying to find it and see uh, how many it's sold. Oh, that's a good question. Um, um, have you ever watched the whole Unplugged set? I didn't even know they didn't unplug. Um, it was never released like on on video or anything, but you can find it on MTV, and uh, it's it's very sloppy in like kind of a way that you expect Hole to play, and uh, is very satisfying in that way. And they they play an early version of the song "Boys on the Radio," which had a different title and was like you know quite different, um, and is really tantalizing because that's probably my favorite song. Huh. I would definitely recommend watching this. Um. Okay, so I was going to be way off. Uh, Unplugged 2.0 reached number three on the Billboard 200 and uh, sold a million copies. Okay. So I guess I was wrong about that. Um, You've got me on a tangent here with the sure. Unplugged thing. I Maybe at some point we will cover the Nirvana Unplugged in New York album. Yeah, we probably should. Um, I, I want to say it's always struck me as amazing that this band that was known for being so heavy came out with a string section and played covers mm -hmm. and like random stuff that you would just never expect from them and did it really, really well. So your, your hot take is that Nirvana MTV Unplugged in New York is a good, good record. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> okay. I know. Like. Everybody go online and argue with me, with me on this because <laughs> clearly I'm the one who's wrong here. Right. It's very, it's really underappreciated. <laughs> um, Adele has called this her favorite album. Yep. Uh, did you listen through the entire album again? Yep. It's, it's phenomenal. And I hadn't in a while. So this listening to this album takes me back to uh, when I worked at Sur La Taube, a uh, kitchen supply store at Pike Place Market for like one uh, holiday season in, uh, I guess, 99. Yeah, like like Christmas 99. Um, 
and uh, they we had like a CD player at work that uh, you know we, we were required to play like you know Christmas music. Uh, yeah. During during oh, business I, hours, I also worked in a kitchen store, and we also right. Did you this. worked at City Kitchen. Yes. Oh, and, and by the end of I the forgot. Christmas, we're we're like uh, bitter rivals forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever seen uh, the forty year old version? Yes. There's this scene where. Paul Rudd walks up to his boss. He works in like a Best Buy type of store and they keep playing this Michael McDonald video. <laughs> and he walks up to his boss and goes, if you play this Michael McDonald video one more time, I'm going to kill everybody in this store. <laughs> and that's how I felt at the end of Christmas season working at a kitchen store. Right. So here, so this is what made this worse was like once the store was closed, like when we were, when we would do inventory, which would go to like, you know, 10 PM or something, we would like, you know, crack open the CD player and put on what we wanted and this was this was the album that got played the most and then like the word came down from on high like like we're like disabling the ability to play non-official music on the cd player like we're replacing it with like a satellite thing or some shit and uh so we couldn't play the miseducation of lauren hill or any other album anymore even during off hours even during off hours yeah what what if the <laughs> ria comes in yes at exactly, nine at 9 right. p.m during inventory what the fuck is going on here yeah, what shut if, it down what if santa hears about this <laughs> um and when i say santa i mean tim allen uh, was that the name of your boss tim allen <laughs> yeah uh-huh. <laughs> yeah kind of boss, a jerk <laughs> also santa i'm uh, speaking of michael mcdonald i know i know this is the most tangent filled episode ever and also the story has nothing to do with michael mcdonald but it sort of has to do it sort of has to do with Mike and the mechanics. All right, so all right. So um all right, so I had this experience a couple days ago that I, I think this has happened to me before with someone else, but I can't remember who. Do you remember the song? And I know that I know this is neither a song by Mike and the Mechanics nor Michael McDonald. What? <laughs> all right, you're going to see where I'm going with this okay, in a minute. It's all so. coming together. It has nothing to do with Lauren Hill. Um, do you remember the song Every Time You Go Away by Paul Young? Of course. Okay, yeah, great song. Um, I was under the impression that Paul Young of Every Time You Go Away, You Take a Piece of Meat With You, uh, had died of a heart attack in 1990. Uh, I, remember, I remember hearing this news. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a shame. Like, I love that song. That guy was a great singer, probably had like, you know, a lot, you know, more, more albums in him. Uh, and, uh, I learned like two days ago that that guy is still alive and it was a different Paul Young, a, the Paul Young from the band Mike and the Mechanics, which I thought was the same guy who died in 1990. What? <laughs> So when I when I like you know went down this this uh, uh, Wikipedia rabbit hole, it literally felt like I was seeing someone rise from the grave. <laughs> it was so weird. Resurrection. Didn't uh, uh, pa- Hall and Oates do a version of that song? Uh, it, that song is written by Daryl Hall, and Hall and Oates did the original. I think the Paul Young version is better. I I will agree with that. And wasn't it in a movie? I'm sure, yeah. And final question, were you 15 when you were mourning the loss of Paul Young? Yeah. I I, I love that song. Okay. Okay, fair enough. I don't even know where you got news like that when you were 15 years old. Prob- Casey Kasem? Probably Casey Kasem. <laughs> and we're going to sign off now <laughs> with another hit from Paul Young. Um 
I, I ha- <laughs> a true fact about Mike and the mechanics, none of them are actually mechanics. <laughs> Nor is anyone named Mike. <laughs> Ex- oh, except, except the for lead Mike singer. Rutherford. <laughs> no, Paul Young was the singer. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mike Rutherford, uh, Genesis, right? Okay. That's right. Uh, I've got two more points to make here about do Wop That Thing. First, and I absolutely love this. Um, this is not the first number one hit written, produced, and performed by a female. The first number one hit written, produced, and performed by a female, wait for it, Debbie Gibson, Lost in Your Eyes. Yeah, and I wrote, like, when we do our 80s, when we run out of 90s and move on to our 80s podcast, we have to do that song. Like, I loved Debbie Gibson in the 80s. Debbie Gibson was a badass. If you had told me that she was writing and producing her own music any time in my life, I would have said not in a million years. Like, I I know. I am thoroughly impressed because it's a well-produced song, and that's not to say that Debbie Gibson shouldn't have that talent. She was just kind of a teeny bopper artist and... Yeah, but I mean, she was like, I don't know, 18 or 19 at the time. It's incredible. Like, I had to go back and listen to the song and go, okay, it's very, very 80s. But yeah, I al- went back and listened to it, too. It's also very well produced. Uh, the other thing is you wrote a note here that says, do you remember when cats used to harmonize? And I'm not sure that you're talking about like the meow kind of cats or like, yeah, cat, that's cool. Well, I mean, that that's a line from the beginning of the song, but I just liked it in isolation. <laughs> I, I guess I was like imagining like like Garfield like out on the fence. Okay, I was just making sure like like or MC Scat Cat. <laughs> also, we're gonna do that song when we do our eighties. <laughs> yep, of course, our eighties show. Um, I I thought you were gonna make a point about how like bands don't harmonize anymore. No. And I was gonna be like, no, no, they definitely do. That that is completely <laughs> there was untrue. no point in that whatsoever. I uh, just like the line. Okay. Thank, well, I mean, thank I like goodness. I like how she says, "Do you remember when cats used to harmonize?" And then it goes to this like you know perfect locked in harmony, uh, just just like four voices going ooh, and like they did. I don't think they had auto tune back then. It just like was a perfect performance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really, really smart. Uh, do you have anything else to say about this song? Um, no, I don't think so. Like just listening back through the album, kind of the same, same experience when, uh, when we did the Fuji's album and like, I listened to that, it was like, oh yeah. Like I've, I'd forgotten that. Like, I know every song on this album and they're all good. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's not one miss on this entire album. It's, um, it is fantastic. Yeah, start this, to there's nothing, there's nothing like overrated here. Right. So. Exactly. Uh, what are you listening to? Oh, I got some. I got some good stuff. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna name two power pop albums. Uh, one a little more on the power side, and one a little more on the pop side. Um, I thought we were like done with new releases for the year, but uh, like, do, do they do that? Um, like not a lot. Not a lot of stuff comes out in November, December. I feel like. God, maybe it's time to put together my new solo album that's all bass and uh, voiceovers. And, and release it like like November twenty like, ninth. I was something? thinking like like December twenty seventh. All bass and voiceovers. <laughs> yeah, like like I'm doing like a, a oh what's God uh, Vincent Price type of stuff. <laughs> You've over, heard of over drum bass and lines. bass. This is dumb and bass. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Good God. Um, <laughs> all right. Weird Nightmare, self-titled release. Uh, it's the uh, solo debut of uh, the singer from the Toronto punk band Mets, which is a very good punk band. It's it's like my favorite thing because it's very loud and very loaded with hooks. Uh, and the song Lusitania is one of my favorite songs of the year. Check that out. Weird Nightmare. And then uh, this indie band from Singapore called Sobs. Their album is called Air Guitar. Um, and it really reminds you of like like classic '90s female-fronted indie rock, like throwing muses, but with more like modern production, um, in okay. mostly in a good way. Okay. Um, the title track has what I'm pretty sure is a reference to Warren's Cherry Pie, and it's a super catchy song. Can't go wrong Air with that. Air guitar by Sobs. Jake, what are you listening to? Well, well, first off, I've got to give you some credit here because uh, Turnstile is now absolutely everywhere. And oh, because because I recommended because them on, on the that, show. That's yeah. the credit mm-hmm. I'm giving you is because we, you're you, the audience heard it here first. Is, is this true that Turnstile suddenly are like because I, I like have no concept. I just like you know put the album on every they, once a week. They did or so. basically a sold out uh, headlining tour in which the guitarist left in the middle of it, and they were somehow able to replace him overnight and still finish the tour. And now uh, they've been tapped to open most of Blink-182's reunion tour, which was going to sell hundreds of thousands of tickets until they priced them each at $180 a piece. Right, you mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, turnstile i hope they're as nice as they seem <laughs> like i would i would that's one of those bands i would feel especially disappointed to find out like the main guy is a monster or something i, I know no evidence for that they seem really nice their music is great they, they have become that that album glow on has become my workout album because it's like every song is just like yes yes you yes, can do it Jake. harder <laughs> um so what i'm listening to is uh did you know what what kglw was yeah. Okay. Um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard released three albums in October, which brings them to five so far uh, this year. They're all different. They're all great. Changes specifically, the third one that they released is fantastic. That's the only one that I've listened to, but I've listened to it several times. I really like it. Um, the second one, uh, Laminated Denim, which I recently found out is an anagram of Made in Timeland, which came out earlier this year, was an album that they literally released. It's two 15-minute tracks, and they released it as music to play as interlude slash set break music at their Red Rocks shows this year. <laughs> Speaking of Red Rocks, I have a story. Um, and and it, it works on its own, but it was also because they said, we're going to play three hours of uninterrupted uninterrupted music two nights in a row which they technically didn't do but as set break music you got a whole new song that you had never heard before so that's that's what makes it uninterrupted music correct okay i like it um other album post animal love gibberish i think this is their third album and fourth ep it actually came out in may but i'm just getting around to listening to it now this band is great they're from chicago I saw them open for a band called Twin Peaks in 2019, and Twin Peaks was okay, and Post Animal was fantastic. I've been listening to them back since they were pre-Animal. Nice. I I was waiting for, like, I was even going to ask you, what do you think they mean by Post Animal? Is that just a really stupid name for a band? Yeah. Um, Like, their early stuff is really prog rock. This album is kind of a, a mix of 80s hair metal, Tears for Fears, and prog rock. Okay. Which can sound terrible, but it's actually really interesting. Fun fact... Uh, they were founded by Joe Keery, which they made a big deal on their Wikipedia page about. And I'm like, 
who the hell is Joe Keery? And he's the guy who plays Steve Harrington on Stranger Things. Who now, who now like records, he's no longer a member of Post Animal, right? He, but he, he now records under the name Joe DJO. Yep. Right? Yep. Okay. Correct. Um, wasn't there some band like the guy from Rushmore <laughs> was was associated with the band Phantom Planet, maybe? Correct. Or Alien Ant Farm? He was the drummer for Phantom <laughs> okay. Planet for like, I don't know, maybe one album and no tours. Okay. Jonathan or Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> Jason Schwartzman. But then then he like put out a couple of solo albums that are pretty good. Uh, that song was the theme song for some bad show that I didn't watch in the early 2000s. Okay. California, here we come. Right yeah, back but where was we that when from. he was in the band? Uh, like I said, he'd already left. Like also, he, that show is great. The OC. Okay. It's one of my favorite shows. Not all, of, not of all of it is great, but some of it. Uh, and that song fucking rips. What were you going to say about Red Rocks? <laughs> okay, so for a while, my friend Sarah, who lives in Denver area, has been bugging me to like come visit and go to a show at Red Rocks because I told her I've never been to Red Rocks, and she's like, we can we can remedy that. She's like, just uh, you know, look at the schedule, pick something, and uh, you know, and we'll we'll go check it out. Um, and I'm like, okay, that sounds fun. So I'm looking at the Red Rocks schedule, and like, there isn't that much on for for next year yet. And I'm like, I you know. How dorky would it be if I told Sarah that I got tickets to this thing? <laughs> and then I decided, I'm just going to do it. So uh, uh, we are we are going to see um, Pink Floyd cover band, Brit Floyd. God damn it. <laughs> Red Rocks. <laughs> I mean, they do like 200 shows a year there. Yeah, I You know. have so many opportunities to see something that, that, I'm not saying you won't enjoy this, but that could be like really, really cool. And you're choosing a cover band. Yeah, I know. I know. I know how stupid that is. I, um, and I, yet, I bet we're gonna have a good time. I guarantee you're gonna have a good time. I have been there. It is fantastic. Uh, the only thing that I'll say is, if Mike and the Mechanics announce a show there, you're gonna be very, very disappointed in yourself. That's true. Or, or Paul Young, or Paul Young's Ghost, or Michael McDonald. Which, by the way, the name of my solo bass and uh, talk vocal album is. Paul, Paul Young's, Young's Ghost. Ghost. Okay. Yep. Got it. Just got it right there. All right. And that's and that's out now. No, right? it's coming out December 27th. December 27th. Look for it on my list of albums that you must listen to <laughs> in January. All right. Uh, where can people find us, Jake? Uh, you can find us online at hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden, all of your favorite streaming platforms. Uh, and until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton.